Hey, thanks for listening to the Shifter Spirits podcast. On this episode, I have an interview about the Black Madonna, which we'll get to in just a moment. But before I forget, I wanted to say thank you to the listeners who have left a rating and or a review in iTunes. Those are two separate things, and I'm thrilled to get either. If you like this show, one of the best ways you can support the podcast and help me find new listeners is by leaving those ratings and reviews in iTunes. Stitcher listeners, you can also rate the show on the Stitcher website. So thank you in advance for taking a few minutes out of your day to do that for me. I also wanted to remind you about the Oracle message at the end of the show. I've heard from several of you that these messages are working as I intended, so I'm happy to keep including them. If you've had a good experience with the Oracle segment, please, by all means, write and tell me about it, either on Facebook or Twitter, or you can always email me, contact at sladeroberson.com. So, be thinking about a question or concern you have. It might be answered by the show itself. But hold it in your mind, and I'll come back on at the end, after the final links and credits, and leave you with that extra channeled message. Okay, back to the show. I'm your host, Slade Robertson. For over 10 years, I've been a professional intuitive and the author of the blog, Shift Your Spirits, where I try to write about spirituality with fewer hearts and flowers than most New Age blather. I also mentor emerging intuitives, psychics, and healers in a program called Automatic Intuition. One of my intentions for the podcast is to feature the unique voices of others who write and teach about these subjects. And on this episode, I'm sharing a conversation I had with Leisha Berry. Leisha is an artist, mentor, and speaker, and now officially an international number one best-selling author. I just saw on Facebook today, as I record this near the end of April 2017, she's on her book tour in support of I'm Her Daughter, which we'll talk about on the show, along with the story of how Leisha took a solo pilgrimage to southern France to photograph the elusive Black Madonnas, only to find that in France, the Black Madonna is not so elusive after all, and contributed to several mystical experiences that have changed her life. Before we dive into the story of your pilgrimage, you know, just as a way of introducing you to those who don't already know who you are, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, well, Avi, as, as you mentioned so graciously, I'm an author, uh, an artist, a speaker, um, mentor, uh, steerswoman, I think is is one of the titles that I sort of wear around at times. And my interest is in uh, working with cultural creatives who have um, deep internal experience that they wish to share, you know, with with the world as a way of of shifting culture. And um, that's been the case for me. I've uh, I'm a long a long time um, critic of culture, <laughs> and um, primarily because uh, as a young kid had you know pretty dark and bleak experiences in my in my home as a as a kid, but um, then growing up recognized that there were there were some painful issues out there in the world that needed addressing, and so I felt that once I healed myself of those said issues, that I had some things to share and some guidance to offer for anyone who was willing to go um, kind of a different route to healing, you know, one's heart and soul and psyche. And um, I have um, two children, I'm married 31 years, and my two boys are grown up. They're men now. And um, 
on book tour for my most recent book, I'm Her Daughter, and um, putting together all that happened to me on my most recent pilgrimage. Um, I take vision quests every year and, and, you know, help others plan their vision quests. And that's an old concept. But um, this most recent pilgrimage was one that kind of blew me into a whole new level of uh, um, expanded growth and um, connection with people in the world. So uh, that's that's kind of in a nutshell who I am and, and what I do. Tell us, you know, educate us a little bit about what the Black Madonnas are. Sure, sure. Well, she first caught my attention um, back in the mid-2000s. I read Sue Monk Kidd's book about the secret life of bees. And in that book, you know, there's mention of this, this dark-skinned Madonna that uh, washes ashore that's used as a central uh, focal point in that, in that novel. And it's just a really beautiful book. And it, it moved me very deeply. But um, I did a little research. And just because I seem to have a nose for things that are covered up, you know, especially when it comes to the feminine or women or... Um, any secret at all, frankly, any secret at all. I feel I can feel it when there's something not being said or there's an untruth being perpetrated. I have to start digging. And so I started researching her and found that the Black Madonna is uh, the older version of the Madonna, uh, the statues of, of Mary with child that we all know now, you know, the, the beautiful white marble or porcelain, you know, statues that we know now. This is the much older version, um, medieval, 11th century and prior, and it's typically made of volcanic stone or a dark wood or even painted with dark skin. And more often than not, the Black Madonnas have features, uh, facial features that are more Middle Eastern or even African in influence, like the, the broader a cheekbone, a wider face, a broader um, nose flare, thicker lips. And interestingly, these black Madonnas have a very different posture than the Madonnas that we see, you know, more recently, whereas the ones we know now sort of there's this, you know, the hands are clasped in prayer and the face is looking up to the heavens or kind of down and in this very demure kind of way. The black Madonnas are looking straight at you. Um, mm. There's no looking up or looking down. It's like, I see you. <laughs> you know? So it's, um, it's something else to stand in front of them. Well, I feel a little bit better because I told you before we started recording that I was afraid that my associations with the black Madonnas um, and what I knew about it might be a little bit... Um, maybe ignorant or <laughs> too pop culture, but I have to say that um, The Secret Life of Bees is one of those um, associations with the Black Madonna when it, it crossed my path as well. And I don't remember entirely if I'm right about this, but I feel like it f may have featured in, um, what's the big Dan Brown um, novel? Oh, The Da Vinci Code, yes. Yeah. I I think so. I, I seem to remember. And there is some association um, between the Black Madonna uh, figure and the Mary Magdalene. 
Um, but it's interesting because you wouldn't think so because there's, you know, mother and child and everybody thinks that that's Mary and Jesus. But in France, there's an understanding that some of those statues are Mary and Jesus and some of them are not. Some of them are the Magdalene. Interesting. Okay, so that that was quite a while before you actually ended up doing a pilgrimage, though, correct? Yes, yes. So tell me, like, what... What does it mean to you, or what did what did it mean to you when you started thinking about the word pilgrimage? Explain to us, you know, this kind of old world concept. Um, what does it mean today? What's the difference between a pilgrimage and a really cool vacation? <laughs> um, well, it it's informed by the Vision Quest concept, which I you know I have to to give credit where it's due. You know. Back in the day when we were all indigenous people, you know, the vision quest concept is that you you go out into the world um, and in that in that time frame, it was, you know, with some pretty decent suffering, no food, no water, no shelter. You went out into the world until you got a vision and you, you know, hid out in the woods or up on the mountaintop and basically went into a, an ecstatic state um, until you received a very clear indication of how you were to serve your people. And then you would go back. If you survived the situation, you would go back and you would know who you were and and what you were there to do in the world. And, you know, subsequently would be, um, you know, accepted and and celebrated, you know, back into, back into the village or the tribe with your new understanding. Um, That's something that I've done on a regular basis um, for myself just to kind of, stay straight, you know, keep myself in check and, and to know that I'm on track. And, and, you know, there's something about doing that, that you look yourself in the eye and, you know, look yourself in the soul and you're, you really get a, a real reality check about making sure you're on track in, in your life. So pilgrimage by definition is a trip to find something. It's a quest, you know, you're, you're you're doing you're you're taking a journey in order to um, to release something or to find something or to um, discover you know something and um, th- this concept of quest or pilgrimage as you correctly say it is a very old you know concept and you know lots of people are interested in the Camino de, de Santiago which is a pilgrimage route that runs through. France and Spain, and um, people are familiar with that. But for me, the pilgrimage was very personal because this was a different pilgrimage than I'd ever taken. My children had grown up and had left home. And as a woman who was extraordinarily invested in, you know, being a mother and raising my kids well, primarily because of the situation I mentioned earlier with the difficulty as a kid, you know, wanting to be a really good mom really poured myself into that. And um, when they left home, all this creative energy came bounding back to me because I'd been putting all that into my my kids and realized that my identity was very much focused in on being mother and being this, you know, quote unquote, good mom or conscious mom, you know, with, you know, the capital, capital C, capital M, you know. So I was like, oh, my gosh, who am I? I, I? I used to know who I was. But now that, you know, all these 20 some odd years later raising kids, I, I'm not sure who I am. And I needed to go 
figure out who I was. And in my, in my intuitive, you know, conversations with the greater intelligence, I was hearing very clearly, you're going to find yourself, but you go to seek the face of the black Madonna. And I didn't understand why the black Madonna was, was so important in terms of being, you know, a focal point of the pilgrimage until I got there and realized that what I was looking for was that that was me, you know, the black Madonna is me, you know, the, the face of the black Madonna, the, the, the scourge, you know, the, the black sheep, the, the forgotten, the scorned, the, the covered up, you know, it's like, oh yeah, this is, I have to unearth her. You know, I have to find this hidden woman that was inside of me and became this beautiful, you know, porcelain or marble, you know, oh, Mother Mary, you know, kind of mom. And I need to get that gritty girl back out that I used to be. <laughs> so the Black Madonna became a symbol for myself. And I didn't know that until after, you know, well into the well into the journey. I was there for six weeks and, um, you know, it was kind of a profound moment, you might you might guess. But but I recommend it. I recommend pilgrimage for everybody. It's a, it's a good exercise, you know, to go in search of yourself is a is a really good exercise. Getting getting over there, you know, all by itself was kind of miraculous, frankly, because I'd never been to Europe. I'd never actually left North America, and I don't speak French, so it was a guided trip. She started guiding me, um, you know, prior to my even, you know, the planning was all in her hands because she was like, you know, come. And there was this situation where it felt as if there was a magnet pulling me, you know, from across the ocean to, to come to France. So, um, so I basically surrendered and gave, gave her the wheel, you know, the whole time Uh, I was guided about where to go, which town, which cathedral, which street to turn down, which alley to turn down, you know, um, and as a result of doing that, had the most crazy experiences. Uh, just a couple that I can think of right away. Is, one of them was uh, I was in uh, Montpellier, and uh, it was the uh, Tour de France uh, stage on that day. They were actually going to be starting in Montpellier that day. And I had, you know, made a logical conclusion that I would go and stand in the crowd and, you know, be and watch, you know, the, the start of the Tour de France, whoever gets a chance to do that. Right. Um, but she said to me very clearly, do not stand in the crowds today. Uh, stay away from the crowd. Stay away, you know, from this. And I was like, well, oh, you know. And it turned out that was the very day that the, the terrorist attack in Nice occurred. Um, of course, you know, the big crowd in Nice that, um, you know, with a truck, you know, mowing down the, the, oh the people God. in the crowd. Of course, I was only an hour away. I was not in Nice. I was in Montpellier. But just there was this, you know, stay away from the crowd message made me think that she was watching over me and making sure that I was not going to be in any situation where I could possibly be hurt. And that happened several times over the trip. Mm. Another time I was... Uh, planning to go see a black Madonna in a small village uh, that was outside of a, a major town. And I had to, every time, had to figure out which bus was the right bus and try to read the French and rely on someone who's, you know, who was able to speak English and French to to be kind and help me out. And I was standing at this bus station and completely mystified. I was just 
I could not understand, you know, this bus schedule and there were all these people and I just was like, oh my gosh, I am not going to be able to find this bus. And I was standing there maybe 15 or 20 minutes when I felt a presence come over <laughs> on my right side and I looked over and it was this beautiful young man, um, just, I mean, light shining out of his skin. And he said, do you need help? And I said, oh my gosh, yes. Do you speak uh, French? And he said, you know, yes, of course I do. And so he made sure I got on the right bus to the correct place, but turned out he was, that was the bus he was going on. And so we wound up sitting together and becoming the best of friends and um, going and looking for the Black Madonna together in this village and having several extraordinary uh, just feelings of her being with us. Um, uh, in was fact, he looking for her as well? Was he on a trip no, to go see that? No. Or, or he just kind of thought your idea was cool and wanted to tag along? I Well, yes, one, that one would think. Um, I... He, I feel like he was some kind of sent sent by an angel or something or sent by her because I was getting ready to abandon the trip. I was just so frustrated not knowing which bus I was supposed to be on. Um, another another situation was going into a cathedral that again I was guided to go into, and I could typically feel where the Black Madonnas were. You know, sometimes they were straight ahead, you know, on the main altar, but Oftentimes they were tucked into an alcove on the left or the right or, you know, kind of a little bit, you know, further out of the way. And I could usually feel it. Again, that sensation of a magnet. And I walked into this cathedral and I could feel where she was, you know, the Black Madonna in this particular one. I could feel it to the left, but there was this huge construction zone. Um, a lot of these cathedrals are very old and they're constantly working on them. And there was scaffolding and the big plastic tarping, you know, kind of saying, like, do not go, you know, don't cross this line, that sort of stuff. And, of course, it was written all in French. And I was like, well, I don't speak French, so <laughs> I'm going to go in. And so I snuck into this this area that was being renovated and, and um, found my my favorite Black Madonna. And it's this extraordinary seven-foot seven foot tall, um, dark, ebony um, Black Madonna. And uh, it's my favorite photograph because I actually had to get down, you know, belly to belly on the floor of the uh, cathedral to get underneath the scaffolding to be able to take the photograph. Um, and I didn't get in trouble. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I got managed to get back out again before I was caught. But um, so you he, were taking he, you were taking photographs of all these that you were yes. finding, right? Yes, absolutely. I came away with 3000 photographs. Um, yeah, I, yeah, so so many pictures. And um, oh, well, here's here's another mystical one for you. Um, she guided me to Lourdes, which in France, they say Lourdes. Um, and, you know, I'm not I'm not Catholic. I don't particularly identify with any uh, particular religion, but deeply, deeply spiritual and deeply moved by Mary. And, you know, have felt like Mary's been with me forever. But this um, Lord's experience is, you know, you walk through this gate and it's really very clear as soon as you walk through this gate that there's something different going on. There's an energy bubble around, you know, Lord's. And uh, as as it being my first time and not being Catholic, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't I wasn't sure if I was going to feel anything, but it's clearly her place. And you 
uh, you walk towards the grotto and that there's, of course, that's the famous grotto. There are so many pictures of where people go and touch the cave walls where the spring, you know, comes up from the ground that was originally um, uh, sprung when the little girl saw, you know, the vision of Mary. And I came close to the area, started, you know, getting in the line to go through the area and looked up at the rock face on the cave and saw Mary, saw, you know, uh, um, an apparition, you know, a face and body with the, with the mantle. And I sort of blinked my eyes like, come on, you know, I'm a scientist and an educator. <laughs> you know, Yes, I'm deeply spiritual, but come on, is that real? And so I thought, well, let's see if I can take a picture of it and pointed the camera to the cave face and it, uh, it actually captured. So I have pictures where there are lots of people, you know, below and up on the cave face is a very clear body of Mary, um, right there, you know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I have to ask you if these pictures, do you have them somewhere where you can share yeah. them? Okay. I have them on my phone. Yeah. I have them in my computer and on my phone. So shall I send those to you so that you're able to put them on the I was going to say if you had links or whatever it was that you had, we'll um, try to um, make those available to anybody listening because I know I want to go sure. check that out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course. I'd, I'd be thrilled. I'd be thrilled. And, you know, the, the mystical experiences didn't, you know, they, they, they were always mystical, but and most of them were very nice, very sweet and loving and good. But there were a couple of mystical experiences that were a little challenging and difficult. And I really feel like any pilgrimage or any vision quest, you know, does require a certain element of risk or danger because we are, you know, the whole point is to grow. We're, we're becoming something larger as a result of doing this task of completing this, you know, journey. So I did have a couple of situations where I felt that there was danger and um, one in particular was being put in front of, again, guided, you know, being put in front of um, a woman who is French royalty, who um, who invited me to come and stay at their farm, at a horse farm um, in the southwest side of France. And uh, who was very nice and seemed very congenial and very interested in the trip that I was taking and very impressed, you know, that I was interested in Mary and the black Madonnas. And, and so I did, I took her up on the offer, which you, you do when you're traveling and you don't know anybody and someone is kind and offers a place to stay. It's like, yeah, okay, that, that'd be lovely. And, um, it turns out that her ancestors, her, you know, royalty, you know, ancestors, were responsible for ordering the execution of my ancestors <laughs> in France back in the Cather massacre. And um, what wound up happening, and of course we didn't know this, you know, in the beginning, but we noticed that there was some, there was some weird stuff going on between us. There were some very strange um, sparks, you know, flying that we, there was no cause for in the, in the today moment, you know, person to person, you know, where there was perfect civility and perfect kindness and, and, uh, getting along fine, but it got harder and harder for us to be around each other. And I kept feeling this feeling of just this survival panic and, um, mistrust and what, what's going on here. And it turns out she was feeling, uh, 
like I was a real, a real peon (laughs) and that my indigenous leanings were, were, you know, awfully simple and primitive. And, you know, she even said to me at one point, I, when I tell the land, you know, to do something on this farm, then I expect the land to do what I tell it. And because it's my subject. And I heard her say that I was like, had to wobble my head because I felt like it was several thousand years prior and I was listening to some monarch, you know, give this order and I wasn't being obedient. It was the weirdest thing. It was like this time slip kind of deal. So I, it wound up being a call for some ancestral healing to occur on my part, um, which was a real gift, but, you know, not always easy. <laughs> Did you know when you were going there that you had ancestors from that part of France? I did not. Um, All of this was verified after I got back. Uh, I had to kind of, I'll have to say, you know, six weeks, you know, traveling alone and in a country where you don't speak the language definitely cracks you open. You know, you really are um, in the mercy, at the mercy of the world, putting yourself in the hands of, of the universe and came back and I had to kind of put myself back together again, um, which was a little bit challenging. And, Yet, you know, part of putting myself back together was to kind of decode these very strange things that happened on the trip and how, you know, looking at my photographs, which kind of wound up being an anchor for me, you know, looking back and saying, okay, yes, I was here and this is what happened there. And I was able to actually call on the power of Mary and these black Madonnas as witnesses for my for my pilgrimage to help me to kind of retrieve, you know, experiences and memories and kind of heal, you know, those parts where uh, things had gotten a little bit challenging. So it's sort of a, you know, and yet another way it was a mystical experience, you know, later kind of calling on this larger, beautiful, you know, Mary energy to overlight my, my growth and my evolution as a result of this pilgrimage, um, kind of put it all, sew it all back together, you know. Wow. So you didn't know at the time that you were staying with this woman and you were experiencing this weird dynamic. You were were completely in the dark about what was happening. Yeah, absolutely in the dark. Um, Interestingly enough, too, she's married to a member of the royal family of Britain. Um, He's the the queen's uh, Queen Elizabeth's great nephew. And uh, they had to ask the queen's permission to be married. And I didn't know any of this, you know, prior to going in either. Um, And I, because I don't know if I would have felt comfortable. (laughs) I'm not sure I would have been, I would have been like, why are you inviting me to your house? If you're, you know, the the queen's nephew, I don't get this. But um, it turned out that it was some bizarre guided um, experience. And no, I I didn't know any of this until, uh, until the end. So isn't isn't there some um, legends about um, the Holy Grail possibly being in that part of France? Um, do you know anything? About I'm that? Not, I, I do. I know. I mean, I have heard this and I, I have read some books, especially uh, around, you know, Mary Magdalene and Mary Magdalene's journey after the. Um, after leaving, you know, Jerusalem after um, the the crucifixion of of Jesus, um, 
And there is a lot of question, actually. In France, they they speak of the Magdalene um, as very much theirs. Like she became she became a French person, according to uh, the history there. Um, and she and they had children. You know, there were children. And there's even a question as to whether, uh, and I know that some, you know, some people might consider this heretical, but there's a question as to whether uh, Jesus may have lived um, beyond the crucifixion. You know that there that that he may have even traveled with her. Uh, that I can't speak to, of course. But I, what I can speak to is that the ever-present story of the Magdalene. Um, relates very much to the Holy Grail story. In fact, some people think the Holy Grail and Magdalene are the same thing. Interesting. And yeah, so there, and you know, I'll tell you what: the land is full of memory there, and it it was very clear, you know, that there were times when the voice of the land was louder than any voice of any person, and the voice of Mary was louder, you know, and. And I felt very much that there was a challenge, you know, from the land and from Mary to to look at history from a very critical point of view and not believe everything that we've been told. So, <laughs> yet more uncovering. <laughs> it also makes me think of the um, the novel Labyrinth by Kate Moss or Kate Mossy. I'm not really sure how you say her last name. Have you ever read that book by any chance? Uh, no, I haven't. I don't know that one. Okay, I'll put it in the show notes and um, and we can all check that out as well. It's kind of about some of that same mysticism surrounding Southern France and, um, you know, the uh, heretical sects of people who were basically murdered there, you know, like genocide for believing, you know, different um, versions of what happened with the Holy Family and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, it's it's fiction, and I don't know how much of it is is accurately, um, you know, historical, but it's, it's a very popular historical fiction um, novel, and uh, it uh, I think it would probably really appeal to you and get your creative juices going. Um, as an author, it's really hard for me to listen to this kind of story and not be wondering like how once you got back and had a chance to process some of what happened to you and and the material have you what what have you done with it have you thought about writing a book about this experience or i know you did some 3000 photographs so what how did how did that work its way into your work um well it's interesting because i just published a book prior to leaving for France. And um, so I felt like, you know, there's, that's a, obviously a huge accomplishment to, to write a book and then publish it for it to go bestseller. You know, I was like, okay, woo, ready for vacation. Bye. You know, and so I thought I was off the hook. I thought I was just going and having this experience just for me. But um, it turns out that the <laughs> that the voice of Mary, as well as the voice of the land, there is very insistent and has asked me to to write about the experiences. And um, I I had already begun a book uh, called Blue Eyed Indian: uh, The Stories That the Land Told Me, because the land has been speaking to me for you know as long as I can remember, and different stories about different places and the personality of the land in different places that I then look back uh, at the historical record and find that there's actual 
um, accuracy in what the land has said prior to me knowing anything about that area. And so the stories that the land talked about in France and the ancestral memory that's present in the land in France, you know, refute the record of history that that we've all been fed, you know, about as I, you know, we just talked about about Mary in particular, and um, Mary the Magdalene, and so it 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 strikes me that there's no accident that I thought I was going, you know, to seek the the Black Madonna Mary, you know, mother of Jesus, and you know that Mary, but that what I seem to have done is actually gone digging to find the the buried Mary, the one that is actually been, um, you know, kind of made invisible in the history books and to write from the point of view of the land that witnessed her directly and, um, you know, to, to weave in stories that, you know, the French people told me and uh, all these cathedrals that have just, you know, right out in the open plaques devoted to the Magdalene, there's no, it's not hidden there. It's, it's, it's really, it's really a Western culture kind of a thing to hide that and, and make her something that she wasn't. So, so yes, I mean, the short answer to your question is yes, I'm going to be writing about it. And I frankly am still, um, there's still some pieces that are kind of falling into place. Making the art is helping. I'm, I've made a lot of art from uh, the photographs because it wasn't enough just to photograph her I needed to actually come, you know, back and, and use those photographs in creating other art, um, painting into it or collaging into it with mixed media and um, and utilizing her image to tell a deeper story about her being a more cosmic mother or a universal mother and being connected to our ancestors and um, the longevity that's present, you know, the, in the memory of the land and the memory of our bodies and that we know the truth you know, deep inside if we're willing to listen and not to believe all those things that we're told. Um, so it's a process. <laughs> wow. So tell us um, oh, really quick, what was the book that you published right before you went on the trip? Uh, that was I Am Her Daughter, The Healing Path to a Woman's Power, which is not coincidentally about healing the um, our issues with mother and um, part memoir, part inspirational and part, um, you know, d directly her voice, you know, speaking in, in terms of instruction. So in, in essence, it's a story about my own healing of the situation, you know, difficulty with my, my actual mother. But once that had occurred, realizing that there is a mother wound in the culture, and in the world and that the ways that we treat the earth and the ways we treat each other and um, the difficulties that women um, are, are very tied to this wound and um, that through seeking a larger context for mother, a larger archetypal uh, intelligence of, of what mother is, that we can actually heal that wound and and write some imbalances in the world, including trying to hide examples of powerful women, i.e., you know, the Magdalene, um, to to whitewash her and, or or to um, you know make her out to be evil or wrong, you know, instead of just acknowledge her as a powerful woman um, as an equal. So it it's all, of course, ties together. And I'm her daughter, you know, did very well 
when it came out. We did get an Amazon bestseller in the top five at that point. But just this um, last week, uh, she went to number one in the U.S. and Canadian markets. Um, so, so she's an international bestseller now, which is just wonderful. That's amazing. I mean, I've already congratulated you privately, but let me do it for in front of everyone else. Um, I'm really excited for you. And I was Thank watching you. watching on Facebook when you were, you know, posting the screenshot. Um, you know, that's that's a dream for for any author. So I'm at, at, it's very cool timing to have the honor to talk to you like right in the middle of, of that energy. And also to it's it's kind of cool. I have to tell you not to talk about myself, but I thought you might find the synchronicity interesting. Of course, I record these episodes um, weeks before they actually go live, and so they're planned in advance. You know what what order that they're going out in, and uh, the two episodes that that go out in front of yours is a two part episode about stranger angels, as I call them, and um, <laughs> about my trip to France, um, where I had uh, a mystical experience as well, not related to Mary, but um, you'll uh, you'll find it interesting the the way. That 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 synchronicity has happened. I, I couldn't have planned it better. Um, and I didn't really know that, that we were going to discover that on this conversation, but it makes sense. Um, there seems to be a thread, um, you know, running through even my podcast that has something to do with Mary. And I thought it was interesting that you talked about how there is an insistence behind mm-hmm those messages that you get and the feeling that you're supposed to share certain types of information um, to uncover, you know, um, these stories. And there is, that's something that I've tapped into as well. And I don't know if, if you felt this way, but I often am kind of like, really? Like, why me? You know, like I almost feel like I've been just randomly like tapped on the head um, and asked to participate in this. And it's almost like somebody just walking up to you on the street and handing you something really important and saying, please deliver this. Uh, you know, do you, do you feel that way a little bit? Um, you know, I don't anymore. I, since, you know, I, I call her in, in, you know, sort of a more general way, great mother, which the archetypal mothering intelligence in the universe, I think of as great mother. And that's an indigenous way of speaking about great mother, great father, and the, the, the mother and father face of God, you know, the feminine and masculine face of God. But I consider Mary to be one of the faces of great mother. And since great mother helped me write the book, I'm her daughter, you know, last year, you know, when that was published, it, it, it didn't surprise me that that Mary would all of a sudden take an interest in me and ask me to be, you know, to take this journey. Uh, and I think it's because, and this is just how I think of it. So you know, take it with a grain of salt. Obviously, do you, know, you gotta you gotta believe what you what works for you. But I feel like the the all these various faces of of the archetypal mother energy that we have seen over time, you know, since the beginning of humanity from from the very earliest with Sibylle and, you know, what's now Turkey, which predates the wheel, you know, the images of, of the goddess go back that far to, to Isis, to, um, Amaterasu in Japan, to, uh, Bridget and, you know, the Celtic region to Mary, mother Mary, you know, that we have always had a need for these mother 
mother goddesses, mother image, um, in our, in our, in our human psyche. And it's because that mother relationship is so primary. It's like, it's the number one relationship there is. We, we come from mother, you know, mother is our source. And so it, it makes some sense to me that, um, Mary, that this would be like the latest incarnation of, of great mother to, to want to talk with me. And I know it's because I'm open to it. And I think that's true of you and anyone she, she appeals to, um, in one of the sessions, you know, in writing, um, we do, we do a morning video every morning, 8.30 a.m. Eastern on my I Am Her Daughter page on Facebook where we allow Great Mother, you know, to come through. And um, she said one day, I will come through those who allow me. And wherever that is, it should not be judged. You know, it may come through the beefy construction guy. It may come through... Um, a person who is um, trans, it may come through a woman who has children, it, you know, it doesn't, wherever I'm allowed to come through, I will, I will come through. So it's sort of like, there's this, that feeling of pressing or insistence is like, like water finding the crack and, and discovering where the crack is so that it can flow through. Mm, yeah, that's a perfect image. That's a great way to to describe it um yeah. yeah and you know for the record um i also um see the the mother archetype in in kind of more of a universal way um i think i was more surprised having been kind of consciously drawn to more neo-pagan indigenous shamanic kind of um imagery and you know um and myth um, the part that surprised me was the, you know, like you said, um, Mary is one of the many faces and I was still surprised that it was that face. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, oh, well, okay. You know, like it took me a minute to adjust to it. Um, and I, I have some personal stories around that as well. And it's, it's not surprising to me that you and I would connect because it seems to be that there is this theme and a lot of people who are um, drawn to speak with me or drawn to work with me, somehow this um, comes out. Uh, it's, it's like we're all a part of like a s- big secret Mary Kay organization or something. <laughs> Mary Kay, haha, <laughs> good one. I actually have a theory. I have a theory about this. I think, in particular, um, because I know how healing works as a you know as a, a healing person, as a medicine keeper that the very thing that we have pushed away from ourselves at some level seeks to reunite, you know, and having grown up in the South in the Bible belt, um, having been so burned by Christianity as a very young child, you know, I was four years old when I was first told I was going to go to hell um, because I heard God and loved God and, you know, was having conversations with God. And my, my preschool teacher told me straight out, you know, you're, that's a sin and you're going to hell. And I was four years old. Right. So at a very early age, I had a decision to make that either I was going to trust my experiences that I was having directly or give my power away and trust what someone else told me that refuted my experience. So it set me up for this lifelong, um, 
wandering in the wild woods, you know, seeking, um, seeking to come home, you know, to, um, whatever that thing was, you know, that I felt so deeply as a, a young child. And I think that Mary showing up, at least for me, is in part because this was the, this was the wound. This was the place where I split off. Um, it's easier for me to relate to, to mother in an Isis or a Bridget or a, you know, a Sibylle or, um, Amaterasu, all these different other cultures, because I wasn't wounded by those cultures, but I was deeply wounded by Christianity. And it makes some kind of symmetrical sense to me that Mary would be the one who says, you know, finally, after all these years, you know, come home to me, child, you know, let me show you the truth. Let me, let me show you how wrong, you know, they were those who speak in our name. Let me welcome you back home because you are my daughter. Um, that's, that's how I think of, you know, why Mary, you know, why Mary, why now? I think many of us have, um, been wounded by, um, that culture of, of Christianity and, and perhaps she's a face that we can more easily, um, experience, you know, that healing influence, um, through. I got in trouble at like a like a Bible school or a Sunday school or something. Um, I wasn't, religion wasn't a big part of my upbringing, but there were a few times, you know, my parents would take me to things or I would ask to go with friends to, you know, church events. And I I was probably in kindergarten and I got in trouble for asking if Mother Nature was God's wife. (laughs) I love that so much. (laughs) Yeah, but... It it kind of makes sense with your story, right? Like with your with your theory, because they actually asked me. Um, they actually pulled my parents aside and and said, "Stop bringing him. He asks questions that upset the other kids." Um, yeah, I was standing up in the middle of class, and you know, in a church at four and five years old, saying. Well, why aren't why aren't our pets in heaven? I don't want to go there if my pets aren't going to be there. And like, I can remember distinctly, like just the faces on the you know the looks on the faces of the other kids when when I brought that little you know bombshell up. And they they did they pulled they pulled my parents aside at some point and and kind of told them to stop bringing him. Uh, so I. I your theory works for me actually that makes a lot of sense yes I probably was wounded at a very early age just like you you know I got the message you're going to hell and I'm thinking well wait a minute I'm the one who's plugged in here what's going on (laughs) right on brother Right on. <laughs> well, it, there's so much about the way that you speak in terms of the indigenous culture and the shamanic thing. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about your book tour because you'll actually be on tour, I believe, um, in the southwest of the United States when everyone's listening to um, this podcast interview for the first time. So um, tell us about where you're going to be um, for this book tour. Sure. Um going to do a four-month total national tour, um, a month in the Southwest, a month in the Southeast. So I'm coming in Chattanooga, Blade. Oh, cool. (laughs) Coming your way, yeah. Um, A month in the Northeast and a month in the Midwest. And um, at the time that, you know, listeners are hearing this, I'll be in um, Arizona and New Mexico, primarily um, Albuquerque, Santa Fe, Taos, Phoenix, Tucson, and then um, 
um, you know, coming back through uh, Baton, Baton Rouge on my way home uh, on I-10. But, you know, primarily speaking, well, I, I have different points, you know, that I bring from the book because the book, I Am Her Daughter is huge. It's like 400 pages and it's a, it's a, it's a real strong, you know, um, it, it tells the truth. I'll just put it that way. It's very straight up about um, how the culture got so off kilter and especially wraps in, you know, the Mary Magdalene story and, and what's been done to women through Christianity, you know, being kind of put as uh, second citizens and that sort of thing. So um, I have talks that are certainly related to the pilgrimage and the Madonna, you know, photos. I can show those as a presentation, but I'm also speaking about um, women's brains and, and how we have a different capacity for being visionaries because of the, the thickness of the corpus callosum in our brain. Um, that's one of the things that I am adept in is, is brain research and doing, I did work with children with brain disorders for several years after I worked in the public schools. Um, so also, you know, the creative voice and the, you know, once we reclaim that, um, that right brain, left brain connection and that, you know, relationship with the feminine and with that, that feeling of being mothered, you know, that we really, it seems to open up the flow of creativity in a different way, which is not a problem that you have, by the way, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Creative, but, um, <laughs> But that this is something that we can, you know, enjoy as a result of healing uh, issues with the mother wound, you know, in the culture, that there's a different level. We can create a different world. We have we're tapped into a greater vision and tapped into a greater ability to um, to literally create a new world, which I think is what's actually happening right now. Um, I think we're in the in the process of the death throes of um a structure that no longer works and that we're all needing those of us who are cultural creatives, you know, are really needing to step up and show people what's possible that we are going to have to create it from the ground up. And it doesn't exist, you know, yet we are in the process of creating it. So these are the kinds of things I'll be talking about. Um, you know, just light, light subjects. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the one kind of, message that you most hope people take away from your work? I I have to say it's the same message that I take away from my work, you know, over and over in my life, being reminded that I'm part of something that is so much bigger than me and so much wiser than me. And that the, the vast intelligence that's available to us, you know, that runs through our very atoms, you know, through our cells and it's surrounding us and that we're part of is available to us all the time. And that if we're willing, it will guide us to the most life affirming, most joyous. end, if we're just willing to, um, if we're just willing to listen. Fantastic. So tell people where they can go online to find out more about you and your artwork and your books and the tour that you're on. Where can we find you? Sure. Uh, well, I'm certainly on all the social media. So uh, I'm very active on Facebook under my name, Leisha Berry. And as um, well as the uh, I Am Her Daughter name, there's a, a page for I Am Her Daughter. And that's where the live videos are every morning at 830 Eastern. But I also have a website, LeishaBerry.com, and that's spelled L-I-C-I-A-B-E-R-R-Y.com. And everything's there, too. 
Awesome. Leisha, thank you. This has been so great getting to speak with you today and um, hear this story about your pilgrimage and, and see all these synchronicities happening for you and your work. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm just really honored. And then thank you for everything that you do, Slade. We're all in great debt to you. Thanks. And let me know when you're going to be in town so I can come see you. Okay. <laughs> Will do. Thanks for listening to the Shift Your Spirits podcast. For show notes, links, and all the past episodes, please visit shiftyourspirits.com. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher or whatever app you use to access podcasts. If you're new to podcasts, it's that purple button on your iPhone. Click it, search Shift Your Spirits, and hit subscribe. Then all the episodes will be there for you automatically, and you can take them with you to the gym or listen in your car. That's what I love about podcasts. Also, if you want to support the show, it would really help me out if you'd leave a rating and a review in iTunes and share it with some friends you think would be into it. If you'd like to get an intuitive reading with me or download a free ebook and meditation to help you connect with your guides, please go to sladeroberson.com. And if you're interested in my professional intuitive training program, check out automaticintuition.com. Before I go... I promise to leave you a message and answer to a question or a concern you may have. So take a moment to think about that. Hold it in your mind or speak it out loud. I'll pause for just a few seconds right now. How do you look at the world? Are you judging it? Are you placing expectations on your present circumstances by projecting something that happened to you in the past? Slow down here. Really take a moment to observe from every possible angle. You've got to be objective, neutral, and open to seeing things the way someone else might. Your awareness can transcend your ego. You have the ability to rise above and see things from the perspective of your higher self. You do. Choose to do it. Perception is everything. Maybe you just need to view your circumstances from a different perspective, or you at least need to wait long enough to consider what this message really means for you right now before you try to take any further action. You may actually find that this change of perspective is the only action you needed to take. I'll talk to you later.